Praise God. You can trust the heart of the Lord every time. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, if you would. Daniel chapter 3. This is a familiar text to so many of us. Probably many of you heard this story when you were uh, a young child, if you came to church or Bible school, you probably heard the story about the three Hebrew, uh, we often think of them as the Hebrew children or the Hebrew boys, they were actually not kids at all, they were grown men by this time, but uh, so it's a challenge for me, uh, whenever there's such a familiar, a familiarity with the text to come here and to try to offer something fresh or something new, but uh, Brother H.T., you know, sometimes I feel like a a donkey at the Kentucky Derby, you know. <laughs> I don't belong here, you know. I'm, I'm out of my, uh, above my pay grade or whatever, but I, I just thank God for his mercy Amen. and for his grace. And uh, <clears throat> tell you what, let's just pray. How about that? Get into it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I just give you praise for all things. I humble myself before you, God. I acknowledge that without you, I'm nothing. Uh, but I can do all things through you. And uh, so hide me today, Lord. Let me speak as the oracles of God. Uh, pray that you'd stretch forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders would be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. That the faith of people would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I ask all these things, and I give you praise for what you will accomplish this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's get up to speed if we can. Uh, for those who have not had the benefit of being here, we're going through the book of Daniel, if God will help us to do that. And uh, so, so let's just refresh, review a little bit from, from previous weeks. We know that Daniel and his three friends, when they were uh, probably young teenagers, they were deported to Babylon. Um, Nabopolassar was emperor. He died, and his son, Nebuchadnezzar, was heir to the throne. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he put a vassal king in place, Jehoiakim, and he went back to Babylon. And he deported these, these four Hebrew uh, teenagers. Now, they were of the royal seed, the Bible tells us. They were of the royal seed of, of the tribe of Judah. And so they were, uh, they were precious. Many believe that they were almost viewed as hostages uh, to ensure the loyalty of, of the vassal king back in, uh, in Judah. But they'd been deported, and for a period of three years, they were indoctrinated and assimilated into the culture of the Babylonians. They were, they were taught all the wisdom and the, the culture and the science and mathematics and and uh, the astrology, the astronomy, all of that stuff that goes along with it. And uh, they were also given Babylonian names. Now, their Hebrew names are uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But they were given Babylonian names. Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar. Um, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the other three names. All of them reflecting... Uh, in some way, the pagan gods of, of Babylon. And so, 
Uh, Daniel and his friends, they refused to uh, drink the king's wine and eat the king's portion of food. And they proved themselves to be uh, wiser than all of the astrologers, the, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, the magicians. We went through all of those different uh, classes of uh, fortune tellers, the think tank of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar examined them after their, uh, their education and, and such. And the scripture says that he found them ten times better than any of the astrologers and the Chaldeans. When you see that word Chaldean, it's not just talking about a, a, an ethnic group. It's talking about the astro the, this, this magicians or sorcerers. And so uh, th this is important because as we're going to see today, I truly believe that these astrologers, soothsayers, Chaldeans that they were behind this whole scenario that took place with the fiery furnace and the, the statue. And, and I believe that they, it was because of envy. Okay? So then we get to, uh, to chapter 2 of Daniel. And in chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in his dream, he sees this statue. And he sees uh, various metals going from the head down to the feet. And as they go down, they, uh, they go down in value, but they increase in strength. Goes from gold to silver to, to brass and then to iron and then iron mixed with clay um, and, and the ten toes. In his, and he asked the astrologers and the soothsayers to tell him what his dream was. He was testing them. Now, he had inherited this, these guys from his father's uh, entourage or his regime. And you get the impression that he did not trust them. And this dream was very unsettling to him. And so he put out a test to try to, uh, to see if they were the real deal. And were they the real deal? Nope. They couldn't do it. They said, no man on earth is able to do what you've asked us to do. But there was a man in the kingdom, uh, and he was a man in whom the Spirit of God was working, and his name was Daniel. And so Daniel interprets the king's dream. Now, the thing about the king's dream that took a lot of boldness uh, for Daniel to, to say is in this image, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar, let's go ahead and go to the next slide, guys. Uh, and, and this is really not a proper rendering of the image as we're going to see in the text here in just a minute. But, but the statue that he saw, remember there were different kinds of metal. There was uh, or precious metals or whatever, gold and silver. And with each successive metal, it represented a new kingdom. And so Daniel basically said, at some point, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, your rule will be over. That must have took a lot of courage to tell him that. This guy was not given to hospitality. He was, he was a despot. Um, and they told him, at some point, your kingdom's going to be over. And Daniel lived to see it. Daniel lived to see uh, Darius, uh, the Mede, come in. Come in and, he, and Cyrus, uh, the first chapter says that he, he, he spent the whole time of, the, of the, uh, the exile there. He saw a lot of different power changes. And it's amazing that Daniel was kept in his place of authority because God was with him. And so... Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and Daniel interprets it and remember how chapter 2 ended it ended with Nebuchadnezzar being like all right Daniel your God he's great <laughs> he's awesome he's amazing okay then we get to chapter 3 now when you get to chapter 3 of Daniel sometimes we read the Bible and we just think it just goes from one day to the next but most uh, critical scholars believe that anywhere from 10 to 20 years pass from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Uh, the Greek text of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. 
uh, actually gives kind of a mile marker as to when, uh, what, what part of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He had been in power for a number of years. So at this point, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they are probably in their 20s. They're, they're grown men. We're not told a whole lot about their family life, but uh, it's, it's entirely reasonable to think maybe they had married at this point, perhaps had kids. That would have been customary. But in the image, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, when Daniel interprets it, he says in Daniel 2, uh, is that 57? Is that 37? I don't have my glasses on. Donkey in the Kentucky Derby, remember, guys. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given unto your hand, and hath made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Now, that's a fascinating statement right there. Nebuchadnezzar was, he was an, uh, a very impressive leader, and God had established him. He was God's servant, Jeremiah 25 says. That, that's fascinating. And remember, we're talking about world empires here. We're not just talking about a city-state. This is not just some local uh, Johnny-come-lately. This is the emperor of the world. This is the world power. And, and then he goes on to say, and after you shall arise another kingdom. I bet Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that part of the dream too much. Because dictators seldom ever do like that kind of thing. But it'll be inferior, and it was. Um, but he said, you are the head of gold. Now, when we get to chapter 3 of Daniel, it says, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, now how many of you uh, like to use cubits when you're measuring something? <laughs> Never, I, me neither. I, I did a little research and I found out that a cubit is about a foot and a half. So anytime you see cubit in the Bible, it's about a foot and a half. Uh, in layman's terms, uh, supposedly it was the distance from the elbow to the fingertip. That's a cubit. And when I was drinking my coffee this morning, I got a measuring tape out and I measured from my elbow... And lo and behold, it was 18 inches. Now, your mileage may vary. You know, some of y'all got long arms and shorter arms. But it's, a, it's about a foot and a half, okay? So this statue that he builds, even though the King James uh, translates from Aramaic here, and remember, this, is, this part of the Bible is in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. Uh, it translates to 60 cubits by 6, uh, which is 90 feet high by 9 feet wide. Now, put it in perspective. That's about like an 8-story building. And the thing was probably on a base, too. They've, archaeologists have discovered something that probably was the base for this monstrosity of a statue. And it was made of solid gold, and sparkling in the sun, it probably could have been seen for miles. Like a high-rise uh, beachfront hotel. But the thing was probably not like it's depicted here in this picture, because, you know, if, if, you, if you think about drawing that thing to scale, that's a pretty skinny statue. Right, it's real tall, but it's skinny. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar has built this thing out of gold. Well, who's the image of gold? Nebuchadnezzar is, right, in the interpretation. So this is basically uh, uh, an, uh, an in-your-face to God. God, you said there's going to be a silver ruler that comes after me, but I'm going to build a 90-foot statue of gold. Now, probably, 
Most people believe that it was probably wood overlaid with gold. It wasn't solid gold. Uh, and, and that's the way human government is. We could put a facade on it and uh, we could try to put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig at the end of the day. You can have a big old wooden statue and overlay it with gold, but at the end, you know, it's just a wooden statue with a gold facade on it. So Nebuchadnezzar has this statue. Now, in verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar the king set to gather the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A lot of repetition there, right? There's several different forms of government here. There's local officials. There's military officials. Here's what you need to glean from this whole scenario here. If I could put it in a modern context, this would be like a summit of the United Nations. He's called all the military uh, uh, representatives, all the, the local magistrates, the state local officials. He's gathered everybody that's in power and they're representative of the folks back home. And they have convened in this, what we would call it maybe a global summit. Okay? And he's got this statue. Now what Nebuchadnezzar is undoubtedly doing is he wants to unify the entirety of his kingdom politically and spiritually. Let's go to the next slide. Now this was not just a, con a convention of the United Nations. Verse 4 says, Then a herald cried out. Notice the, there's, there's someone proclaiming the message. The herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, Nations and languages. Is that what your Bible says? This is not a city-state. This is a world empire here. This is a decree for... Can I say it this way? This is a one-world government and a one-world religion. Does that begin to sound some alarm bells in your spirit? I'm telling you, God's got some kind of prophetic anointing on me here lately, and, and I'll probably make somebody mad before I leave here today, but so be it. All right, so, verse 5, he says that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer in the King James. There's six instruments, okay? Now, some of your translations won't have all those in there, but, but in the King James, there's six instruments there. It's interesting, the statue was 60 cubits and by six, and then there's six instruments, more on that later. He says, at what time you hear all kinds of music, you fall down, and notice what it says. Worship. He didn't just say, take your hat off, or your turban, put your hand over your heart. He said, worship. The golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a blazing furnace or a fiery furnace. It's interesting that somewhere nearby, this statue, Nebuchadnezzar, has already prepared an instrument of torture for those who fail to comply, those who are not compliant. 
Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, notice it says everybody, all the people, the nations, and the languages, what do they do? They fell down and did what? Worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. The whole world danced to Nebuchadnezzar's ragtime band. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he understood something. Music's important. Now, there's some that believe, based on a scripture uh, in the prophets, that Satan himself was a musical angel. And... Uh, I think it was Martin Luther that made the joke. He, he, he made a statement, you know, that when Satan fell from heaven, he landed in my choir. You ever had any of those, Brother Ronnie? I, I, don't answer. I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm sure long, long time ago, not now. But I've noticed this over my years of experience. I, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I've been preaching a long time. A lot of times trouble, if there's trouble in the church, you know it'll start in the music. Folks fussing and fighting about what they like or don't like and who gets this platform time and who gets the microphone and who's louder and who's not and, and driving the sound man crazy. We, we're doing this, don't we? If I'm holding the microphone, I'm always going this, up, 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 down, down, down. Like a first, you know, a first base coach, you know. <laughs> and they're up there just laughing. Like I'm not doing anything. They think I'm turning them up, but I'm really turning them down. <laughs> Worship. The difference between the believer, now this is a Warren Wiersbe quote, he's always good for a quote. You know, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not the presence of faith because everybody's got faith in something. The difference is in the object. The atheist believes in something. He believes in himself. This, this God that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, it was an homage to humanism, the God of humanism. And I see it, I see the spirit of the age. That is the prevailing spirit, is that, folks, we can do this. Remember all the commercials when COVID-19 first broke? We're all in this together. We're going to do this. Global problems demand global solutions. We'll just roll out a vaccine that will become our new Messiah. Tell you what, you better trust in God. Go ahead and get the vaccine if you're so inclined to do so. I'm not preaching for or against it. But you better be trusting in God. If my faith is in anything other than God, I'm on shaky ground. Shaky ground. And herein is Satan's great lie. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know in the first chapter, the devil goes after his kids, his property, his livestock, and all that stuff. Goes after Job's. And Job still maintains his integrity. But then you get to chapter 2. And now God and the devil are having a conversation, and now we get to round two. And the devil says to God, he says, okay, you've taken away his property, his, his family. But I tell you what, there's one thing that if you'll just let me have access to, he will curse you. And that was his life, his health. And Satan answered the Lord in Job 2.4. He said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. We, we have such a survival instinct within us. This, this, uh, we're hardwired for self-preservation. Not all fear is bad. 
You know, God has put certain fear within us, the fear of running out into traffic or jumping off of a building. Uh, some things are, 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 God has created us with common sense, with a brain. But as we will see as time goes on, people will be willing to trade more and more freedom in exchange for safety and health. It's coming. I promise you it's coming. People will be, I, you would be astounded to know the constitutional freedoms that we have traded in during this pandemic, all because of fear. All because of fear. Because we want everybody to be safe. That's been the mantra for so long, hasn't it? Stay safe. Stay home. Stay safe. Be quiet. That's the narrative that we hear over and over. Trust us. The government has your best interests at heart. If you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. And we'll work out a deal. <laughs> Everybody danced. Everybody worshipped. Now we get to verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans come. Now here's those guys I was telling you about before. Remember, I think they're the ones who, who have, have kind of pushed this whole thing. I believe that they've been behind the scenes stoking the king's ego. He's surrounded by yes men. Now Daniel's not around. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Daniel's, Daniel is absent. He's conspicuously absent from Daniel chapter 3. and He's one of the main characters. Where is Daniel? That's what all the Bible commentators want to speculate about. I'll give you some food for thought at the end of this message. Daniel's nowhere around. And the Chaldeans now are giving an accusation against these guys. And they spoke unto the king, verse 9, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You know, they're a bunch of sycophants, but that was a typical greeting in the Oriental uh, world. Then they spoke unto the king, uh, verse 10, You, O King, have made a decree. Notice how they're reminding the king of the decree. You know, if this was his big idea, he wouldn't need anybody to remind him, would he? Uh, King, you made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the ragtime band, I'm not going to read all that, you shall fall down and worship the golden image. Verse 11, whoso falleth not down and worship it, he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Remember, you made a rule, Nebuchadnezzar. But there are certain Jews that you, who, you have set over the affairs. Now, I want you to see here how they've upped the ante, too. They said, they're not just Jews, but they're people that you put in charge, Nebuchadnezzar. You see the devil's hand at work in here? I'm going to tell you what. Remember Jesus Christ, even Pilate. Pilate knew that Jesus had been handed over because of envy. You ever read that New Testament? They were jealous of him, the Pharisees and the, the, the priests. There are certain Jews that you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have not regarded you, O king. Notice again, they're, they're leveraging his pride. You know, these people, they don't honor you. You're the man, and they're not treating you like the man, Nebuchadnezzar. Neither do they serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you've set up. Then in verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they brought these men before the king. And what we see next is, is seemingly... A reluctance, seemingly a reluctance on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, he's normally not given to, to patience and second chances. But it seems here he realizes that these three boys are valuable to his king. Remember, he's already examined them, and he found out that they were, what, ten times better than those clowns he had uh, in his cabinet. <clears throat> Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them. He said, is it true? <laughs> he's almost like saying, come on, guys. <laughs> that, that's what I see. I see he's like, come on, guys. Just, just get with the program here. There's no reason for me to kill you. Uh, you're, you're an asset to me. Come on, guys. Is it true that, um, that you don't serve my gods nor, serve, nor worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you be ready, <laughs> he says, fire up the band one more time, tune up the instrument, the, 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 the dulcimer and the, and the whatever the sackbud is. Who knows what that is? <laughs> some of those are wind instruments. Some of those are string instruments. Maybe some are percussive instruments. I don't know. I know this, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a guitar player because guitar players got girls. <laughs> and I did, see? <laughs> but see, my dad was a bass player, and growing up, I, I thought, well, I want to be just like my dad, but the bass player never gets the girl. Girl always likes either the lead singer or the drummer or the guitar player. She never goes for the bass player, but, but the bass player got him a good girl, didn't he, Dad? Got him a good one. Nobody wants to grow up and be a sack butt player, though, do they? <laughs> Somebody's Googling it right now. Where can I get lessons for the sack butt? <laughs> anyway, he says, fire up the, uh, fire up the band. And, and notice at the end of verse 15. I want you to see something here. This is subtle. Nebuchadnezzar says, who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, do you see what he's just done? He's basically just said, I'm a God. I'm a God. There's no God that's going to be able to deliver you from me. It's been said that, uh, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Pride. Let's go to the next slide. You'll be glad to know I had about 10 slides prepared and I chopped it down significantly yesterday afternoon over here. Now at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have done what we normally do, go through a whole list of reasons why we ought to compromise. Right? Everybody else is doing it. This is a good one. We could do more for God if we're alive, Right? Our job requires us to do this. I remember, I, some of you may have never been placed in that position, but I remember an employer one time told me uh, to tell a blatant lie to our clients. And I said, I can't do that. I just, you know, I can't, can't do that. We can bow our knees without bowing our hearts. That sounds real religious, doesn't it? It's just once. You know, we'll, we'll get out of the tight spot here and then we'll go back to doing things business as usual. Or how about this one? God's a God of grace and mercy. Right? He'll forgive. What's the old mantra of the, the church? It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. 
And I'd like to be able to stand here and tell you that I've never compromised. I'd love to be able to tell you that. I can't. I can't. You know, a lot of people, they're willing to tell you about what a rotten sinner they were before they got saved. But I'm going to tell you, I've made some compromises since I've been a believer in Jesus Christ that I'm not proud of. I'm just keeping it real, keeping it 100. Is that okay? I, there, there's some times when I've run through that whole list of rational lies. And I thought, you know, God, God understands. He knows. He, he, he will forgive. He, he understands the circumstances. Yeah? It's like that song Sharon sang. What, how appropriate. God sees the big picture. He knows everything. He knows the plight that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in. You know, I think sometimes we read this story like, and we read it like it's so juvenile. I remember when I, my kids were little, we had a, a VeggieTale video about these three boys. Anybody remember the VeggieTale video? I think it was Rack, Shack, and Benny were the, their names. VeggieTales. I don't miss that. I do miss the kids being little, but, but anyway. And we have such a juvenile approach to it. And we say, oh, well, the little three Hebrew boys, they went into the fire, but they never got burned, and everything was great, and they, never, they didn't suffer anything. That's baloney. The moment that edict was given, they were on death row. How many of you know sometimes mental suffering is worse than physical suffering? And let's assume maybe that they had a family. Let's assume that maybe they did. I don't want to go beyond what's written. But what if they did? And they told their wives, you know, kings brought us before him, and he's going to throw us in the fiery furnace. And they're thinking, well, we're going to be widows. We're going to be orphans if you do this. These are not victimless crimes. But I like what, it said, what they said. See, they were aware of that first set of commandments on Mount Sinai where God said you'll not have any other gods before me you'll not make any graven images you'll not bow down to them folks the world wants you to bow down and I saw this thing last year and it infuriated me when, when, when certain groups were rioting and looting and burning you know you're going to see here I, I, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping ahead I, but I feel like I need to our kids are being taught critical race theory. It's garbage. So that by the time they're in middle school, they think socialism's a good idea. They need to have about 30 days of socialism. They need to study it and see that it's never worked in any place. It, it doesn't work. But see, we don't teach history anymore. We, we've, and remember there was this big push to remove all the statues, get rid of history. Uh, there's a spirit behind all that too. You see, if you remove all the history, then you can create a new normal. And you could pave way for a one-world government. Pave, pave way for a new statue to be erected. An homage to mankind, you see. And we saw people taking a knee and kneeling to these people that were burning, rioting, and looting. And people are kneeling down to them. No. When you kneel, it is an act of submission and worship. Some people are trying to kneel when the national anthem is played. No, sir, no, ma'am. I kneel before God and Him alone. Amen. 
And that's not being a racist. That's being a Christian. Somebody that loves the Lord. He alone will get my worship. He alone will have my allegiance. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Now here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I really don't like calling them by their Babylonian names, but it's hard for me to remember Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah sometimes. But these three Hebrew men had made up their mind that they were not going to bow. But they did it in a respectful way. You see, that's the difference between a peaceful protest and a doggone riot. When you burn down stuff and you break windows of innocent people's businesses and you steal, you know what you're doing? The work of the devil. Because the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you're not doing anything to help your people or to help your cause. All you're doing is fulfilling the devil's wishes by doing that stuff. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> now it says, we are not careful to answer you, the, answer you in this matter. The end of verse 16. You know what our problem is? We're too worried about trying to defend everything. We're too worried about trying to defend God and defend why we believe what we believe. And, and sometimes you just have to take a stand. The world is looking to see if somebody will stand while everybody else is bowing. And we're, we're ashamed of what the Bible teaches. There's a push to get rid of the miracles of the Bible. Liberal theologians in, in secular uh, universities and even in Bible colleges that used to train preachers, now they teach people that the miracles of the Bible didn't really happen. Let me put myself in uh, some kind of a deplorable minority here, if you'll just allow me to do it. I believe that God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. I don't believe in evolution. I believe that God brought those animals on that ark, and Noah was the, he was, him and his family were the only ones saved. There was a worldwide flood. I believe that. I believe it. I believe that Abraham was 100 years old, and God gave him a miracle baby. I believe it. I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the midst of a blazing, fiery furnace and came out without even the smell of a campfire. I believe Daniel was in the lion's den and the, God stopped the mouths of the lions. I believe it. I believe Jesus turned the water into wine. I believe that he healed the leper, cleansed him. I believe that he opened blinded eyes. I believe that he calmed the storm of the word. I believe that he raised the dead. I believe that he did all of those things because I believe that the Bible is the word of God. And if that makes me in the minority, then so be it. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now here's where we get into trouble sometimes. We have faith in faith instead of faith in God. And there's some teachers. You'll find them littered all over the television if you watch Christian television. And they'll say, well, if you repeat, if you can quote this scripture, you'll make, you know, you can create your own reality. If you have a positive confession. Look, either God's God or you're God. But not both. They said, look, God is able to... We know that. He says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. We will not bow, we will not bend. 
Now we know how the story ends, and in Hebrews eleven thirty four, it 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 refers to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the guys who quenched the violence of fire, no doubt about it. They came out of the fire, but that is not everybody's experience. That's why the Bible says, and there's others though. Who are those others? They're the ones that that didn't get delivered. They're the ones that didn't get a miracle. They're the ones that didn't get deliverance. They're the ones that, that did face death. Do you know, let me, let me make this really real for you today, that statistically speaking, by the time I'm done speaking this morning, 10 people will have been killed for Jesus Christ around the world. I'm talking about martyrdom because they refuse to bow and they refuse to bend. And that's why we need to pray for the persecuted church. Some people say, well, you should never pray if it be your will. Well, Jesus did. He was facing the toughest crisis of his life. The Bible says that his sweat became as drops of blood. He told the disciples, he said, literally, my heart is breaking. And this is the Son of God. He went a little further, it says in Matthew 26, 39. And he fell on his face and he prayed. You, know, you believe Jesus had a good prayer life? I do. He was always in tune with the Father. He knew the Father's will. And he said, oh, my Father, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he prayed that same prayer three times. You know, there's sometimes I don't have to pray if it be thy will. If I'm praying for somebody to get saved, I don't have to pray because God's already revealed the will of God on that matter. It's not the will of God that any should perish. But sometimes you don't know how to pray, right? That's what Romans 8, 26 says. It says sometimes we don't know how to pray. You know, most of the time I pray for God to rescue people. How about you? Whenever they're in a tight spot, I pray for God to rescue them. But you know, it may be that God is trying to teach them something in their trouble. It might be. Now, I'm like you. When I'm, when I'm in trouble, I want to be rescued. <laughs> I want the lifesaver to jump in and dive in and get me out. That's what I want. But it may be that God wants me to learn something. Instead of saying, how can I get out of this? Why don't we ask God, what can I get out of this? What are you teaching me? What is it that I need to learn in this trial of of fire this trial of faith all right verse 19 Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury the form of his visions was changed he commanded that he should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wanting to be heated now this this might just be hyperbole here but you know I, I don't know how you can heat something seven times hotter right but but he's angry he's furious and he commanded verse 20 the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach Meshach and Abednego now these three guys are peaceful they're not troublemakers but he's got the the best of the best the biggest and the baddest to try to bind these guys that's how anger blinds people anger and rage and fury blinds people you see he's he's out of his mind when you are when you are angry, this is just extra. This is not in my notes. When you're angry, stay off your phone and stay off of Facebook and stay off texting people and sending that email. 
you type that email out before you hit send, delete it, and go to sleep and pray on it. Because when you're mad and you're furious, you're not in your right mind. You're not. And you'll say something that you'll regret. And the thing I've learned about saying stuff is you can never take it back once it's out there. These men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. See, they went in. Verse 22, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see? God said, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. The outworking of the Abrahamic covenant is, is, is right before our eyes. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down. Now notice in verse 23, it says they were bound. They were bound in the midst of the fiery furnace. But something happens. Nebuchadnezzar said, he was astonished, it says. He rose up in haste, and he asked his counselors, the brain trust, the think tank. He said, uh, how's this common core math thing going? He said, did we not? Put three guys in there. And lo and behold, there's four. <laughs> and they said, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. He answered and he said, I see four men loose. Notice they were bound before. Now they're loose. You see, that very thing that, that the devil intended for your destruction may be the, the, the very thing that God uses to liberate you. That thing you thought was going to destroy you, God's going to use it to break some chains off of you. You're going to come out of that furnace, and you're going to come out better than you were before. <clears throat> and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth one is likened to the Son of God. Where's Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, here's one example, I believe. I believe this is a pre-incarnate Appearance of Jesus. They call it a theophany or a Christophany. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice he didn't want anything to do with that fourth man. <laughs> uh, he said, You service of the Most High God, come forth. And they came, and the Bible says, and the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whom bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now notice he still doesn't claim God as his own. He's still got a borrowed faith. While he sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. And yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any God except their God. Notice, notice he's saying, I'm not God, he is. Therefore I make a decree. He's all about making decrees, isn't he? Let me say it this way so you understand it. He's signing executive orders right and left. Oh, dear Lord. Sometimes I can't help myself. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and, and language, which speak anything amidst the God of... Now, notice again, it's not his God. 
the God of Abraham, excuse me, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill. That's apparently one of his favorite threats, isn't it? How many times has he said that? I'm going to turn your house into an outhouse. <laughs> because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. All right. So this, this story has a happy ending. All right. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is extolling the virtues of God. Now, is this going to last for Nebuchadnezzar? No. You know what's going to happen. Did you know that chapter 4, I'm not going to go there, so don't get nervous. Somebody say, oh, dear God, not another chapter, please. <laughs> Did you know that Nebuchadnezzar actually writes chapter 4 of Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar writes chapter 4. So I have this sneaking suspicion we might see him in heaven. He might be surprised to see us there, too. <laughs> all right, where does all this go? On a personal level, personal level. You and I, as believers, our faith is going to be tried. A, fi a, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. We are going to be tested. The Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But our faith will be tried. But here's what we can confidently assure, be assured of. If God delivers us from the furnace... Or if we go into the furnace, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. If need be, God will hold my hand as I walk through fire. As, the, as David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Hallelujah. You're with me. So whether you go through the fire or whether you're delivered from the furnace, remember this, God is with you. If God be for you, who can be against you? All right, second level. Second level here. What is the Christian's response to the government? Well, the Bible says in Romans 13 that we are to be subject to the powers that be, but the powers that be are ordained of God. God gives us government because men are sinful. We need, we need to be governed because we're sinners by nature. Okay? Peter says that we're to honor the king, uh, that we're to, to, to honor tribute and custom to whom custom is due. But what happens... When like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happens when we're given an, an edict or an executive order that our Bible will not allow us to go along with? What happens then? I believe, on the authority of God's word, that we have to civilly disobey when someone has gone, gone against the word of God. And we have a right, our obligation is to God first and to the king somewhere down the line. But to God first. But even if we do, even as, even as we do, we have seen a model, haven't we? We've seen a model of how to handle it. We don't go around being obnoxious. We're not burning down stuff. We're not being hateful. We're not being ugly. We're not calling people names. I see a lot of Christians calling people names on, on social media. You'll never win anybody to the Lord by calling them names. You'll never do it. You'll never do it. All right, third level, and this is important because this is a preview of coming attractions. Go to the next slide, and I'm not going to read the chapter, but I'm just, I just want to show you some future implications. All right. In Revelation 13, the Bible speaks of, of a, a, a world power, and it says that there's going to be a beast that rises out of the sea. That's the Antichrist. There's also going to be another beast, and he's the false prophet. And what, what's going to happen... It says, with all miracles he's allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceives all the people who belongs to this world. He orders the people 
to make a great statue of the first beast. Does that sound familiar? Like what we just read. And who was fatally wounded and came back to life. No time to go into that. Verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. I believe that this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will galvanize those Jewish believers in the tribulation period. Because the Bible says in the, in the book of Revelation, in the tribulation period, in the middle point, that the Antichrist will come into the temple. He will proclaim himself to be God. Jesus said that's the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. And he will demand to be worshipped. There will be a one world government. There will be a one world religion. And the number of the beast is what? 666. Let's look at our story here today. Okay? There's a one world leader, Nebuchadnezzar. He's a type of Antichrist. There's a one world religion, right? There's this statue and the music that, that's being played. And everybody's being forced to bow and to conform and to worship. Okay? Now the three Hebrew men are thrown into the midst of the fire. I believe that these are the Jews that are preserved during the tribulation period. They, they go through the fire, but that they will be preserved, brought to the end. Okay? The number is 666. We had a 60-foot statue by six cubits wide and six musical instruments. Don't read too much into it, but it's just interesting there. But here's a curious thing. Where's Daniel in all this? Now, he may be out on an assignment somewhere. Or maybe he's too important. There's several options we have. You think Daniel got down and worshipped when they played the music? Nope. Nope. Was he exempt? Maybe. I don't know. Here's what I believe. I believe that in types and shadows, and again, this, this is me, that Daniel is a picture of the church removed from the tribulation period. He will, the church does not go through the tribulation period. And I believe Daniel is a type of the church that will not have to deal with the one world religion because in Revelation 3 Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia he said because you've kept the word of my patience I will also keep you from the hour of temptation that will come on the whole world to try them amen would you stand would you stand if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior don't wait another day you don't have the promise of tomorrow confess your sin to him and the good news is God will forgive you God will wipe your slate clean. He'll make you just as if you had never sinned. He'll justify you. There may be a believer here today. You feel like you're in the midst of the fiery furnace. Here's, here's the reality. We're either coming out of the fire or heading into the fire at some point in the future. Or we're in the midst of the fire. Some of you are in the midst of the fire. But know this. God is with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The altar's open. Would you come?
you the amazing thing about the, the stand that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? When those three guys, when they stood tall, everybody back home said, you know what, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though we're not in the temple, even though we've been carried away uh, captive to, to Babylon, our God is still on the throne. See, when you stand strong in the midst of your trial, you testify to a lost and a dying world that God is real. And next week we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar is going to finally see some things about God he hasn't seen before too. I love you. I love you very much. More importantly, Jesus Christ loves you. I hope you have a blessed week. I hope to see you Wednesday night for, uh, for Bible study. we got VBS coming up soon. A lot of good things are happening. Uh, there's a mission trip uh, that uh, David Ross is putting together going to Appalachia. Appalachia, I probably didn't pronounce that right. Uh, if you want to know more about that, see me. Um, he wanted me to announce that. Sorry, I don't have my paperwork in front of me. But if that's something that piques your interest toward the end of July, you'd like to go, they're going to do a VBS for uh, some, some of those folks. And some of those folks are really impoverished. But uh, anyway, uh, my blessings be upon you. Shalom. I'm asking Brother Lynn, would you close us in prayer? Thank you.